wasn't sure I'd ever uh, step out and do my own thing. It took this place to do it. And it is Virginia Tech. This isn't some rinky-dink-ass program. I don't know if I could follow that one up. I'm yelling into the void, and that's what I like doing. <laughs> Pete, nobody's looking at your tweets. We're going to recruit our footprint, and we're going to work our tails off to bring those Virginia kids to Blacksburg. Those situations are the worst when you are on top of another guy. The relationships are very important to me. That's what this place is built on. That's your boy. That's your judge of character. I'm going to end up in a Columbia prison. At 95 Miami, is, is my fondest memory. And maybe the experience after the Sugar Bowl with Wes Worsham and J.C. Price on Bourbon Street. <laughs> Come on, J.C. I want to know what you're drinking, Robbie. It is roasty goodness, even though I was out. What's the percent on that? 11. It was a dream come true back then, and it's a dream come true today. Hey, Mom, why don't you try a rail? We're going to put this old guy in a grave. For the love of the game. And I mow the lawn after work before the podcast. Mm, we just got better, guys. Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence, a Sons of Saturday podcast. My name is Pete, and you guys know my co-host, Robbie. What's up, Rob? How you doing, man? Doing well. Doing well. We, uh, we've made it to nine seasons, uh, <laughs> so that's pretty remarkable, but uh, here we are. If, I know. That's right. This is our ninth consecutive VT Football season preview episode. We did our first one back in 2015 in Robbie's apartment. We had no idea what we were doing. We had a friend there helping us figure out how to record in John Rojas, and uh, shout out to John, but... We've come a long way, and even though we've come that long way, this is round two of, of the recording because we did it last night and the audio was trash, and so we're back again for a second time, but that's okay. We're, we're happy to be back. here tonight. Tonight We're going to go all over all the preseason projections, the schedule, the position groups, the, our final record predictions, and one hot take from each of us. Before we do that, Robbie, give us a cheers. I will... Give us a cheers um, to nine seasons. Let's take our hat off for, for us. Uh, and I don't know what I cheers to last night when we did this recording. So I'm, <laughs> I'm going off the you know seat of my pants. So nine years and we've made it to football season once again and doing another preview. So for good health and, uh, you know, us, us still being here and, and pressing the record button. So cheers to that. Cheers. Nine times. Pretty impressive. <laughs> uh, I did want to make a note, right, as we're kicking off here, where I mentioned hot take. Each of us are going to give one, but the Sons of Saturday did hot wings and hotter takes. They had it professionally filmed this year. It's up on YouTube. Uh, I can't wait to watch it. I've been busy this week, haven't gotten a chance. Tomorrow's Friday, hoping to watch it in its entirety on YouTube because from the trailer and all the clips that I've seen them put out, it looks awesome and seems like the guys had a lot of fun. News and notes. Grant Wells is QB1. That came out just a couple days ago. It was announced on a Triumph NIL stream. So that's where we are. We had our beat writers reporting off of the stream, something that Mike Nizalek would not approve of, but that's what Andy Bitter did. He said Will was there, and so they had... TSL first-hand access, and it came across a few other places as well. So, Drones was named this, or Drones was named the backup, but Pride did say that he will play each and every week. I found that to be the most interesting thing said of what happened yesterday. Yes, most interesting. It was uh, a very 
uh, poorly kept secret that Grant Wells was going to be named QB one. And then, but see here, here, here's another take on it. And I probably had a different one last night. Brent Pry need to throw us off the trail. Like the scent was too strong. We all knew it was going to be Grant Wells. So Pry was like, you know what? There's a way to throw him off. I'm going to tell him that drones is going to play every week and see everybody's head explode. <laughs> and that's, and that's a great question that I want to get into later is in what capacity do you think he plays? Do you think this is gamesmanship? Do you think pride just wants to make people prepare for him each and every week to think about it, make ODU think about it. But from the reporting, it sounds like drones made a surge in fall camp. And then as things wore on, Grant Wells pulled away and won the starting job. What was a good competition? That's what we have been told. And that's what we're going to go with. Grant had a better understanding of the offense, uh, when and why certain plays would be called. That was something Bowen kind of talked about and Grant talked about. And in that he can operate the entire offense and that maybe getting here so recently, Drones doesn't have a mastery of all the calls and all the plays and having Grant in there and the new wide receivers, uh, you can utilize them better with a guy who knows the entire offense and is a little bit better of a passer. But we're going to talk about Grant Wells and how his year might look as the starter a little bit later in the podcast. Another note we got that was that Bob Schick won the right guard spot. That was the only, I think the only position on offense that was really up for grabs. Maybe left guard was talked about for a minute, but Schick is that starter at right guard, which means Brody Meadows drops back into a reserve role for the time being. And Frady also becomes one of our reserves. I believe we can count on, but I'm going to get into the O line when we go through our position groups injuries. Johnny Garrett was nicked up. Tucker Holloway has been a little bit nicked up. Kelly Lawson missed some practices, but they said he was full speed and there. So he's probably fine. We haven't heard anything. Otherwise Gallo, it seems might have something serious. Our tight end, Nick Gallo, super senior, named a captain today as well. It seems like he could have an injury that keeps him out. We don't know the details on it. I'm sure we'll find out in the next couple of days. And then the last two injury notes were Gunnar Givens and Jeremiah Coney, one of the new true freshmen. They had surgeries of some kind that's going to keep them out for the near future. We weren't going to be relying on them this year, hopefully. So that should be all good. And we wish them to get back as quickly as possible. I want to jump into the AP poll. I'm going to add it to the screen here for you, Rob. And if you'll see at the bottom there, I noted that FSU is number nine or FSU is number eight, Clemson number nine, and UNC at 21. Those are the only ACC teams that were ranked, but there were a few teams in the receiving votes, correct? Yes. Uh, we had a couple of teams. Pitt uh, receiving votes came in at 32, Louisville. Came in at 40, Duke at 43, and NC State came in at number 50. Uh, rounding NC out. State had one vote, right? <laughs> yes, one one vote. So, uh, But, hey, you got to start somewhere. So, <laughs> That's so, right. One, I guess one number 25 vote is what that would have yes. been if you get one point. Uh, I did think it was interesting that Miami didn't get a vote at all. Like, which, yeah, we they weren't good last year, but Miami always gets hyped. They always have guys. I figured they would have gotten a handful of votes. Yeah, they have talent. And the um, Miami is back narrative, I think we can call officially dead. This is the year. Nine, our nine took nine seasons for us to kill Miami is back. And it is officially dead, finally. Uh, but in all seriousness, 
I think that they probably had more reason to be getting a couple of votes than say Duke or NC State, um, given the talent that they have. So it, it's a little bit strange. Maybe that'll give them some incentive, but I would, um, yeah, a little bit, a little bit weird because they usually just get some votes just for the name recognition. And that leads me into just a final take on the AP poll is if you're looking at those teams just outside the top 25 and we'll include Miami, NC State, and any other ACC team you want to name, which which team who's not ranked right now has the best chance of popping up into those rankings throughout the season? My belief is that it will be Pitt doesn't have a far way to climb. They got seven spots to to jump in. That basically means they got to start the year doing what they should. I don't know who their opponents are, but I'm sure it's relatively easy cakewalk early on for them. So they could creep in there. And I think NC State has a a chance to hop in there. They're, they have a tendency to uh, jump in there. Obviously, we played them later on in the season, but I, I would go with uh, the Wolfpack is uh, my other team. Pitt, you're right. They're close. And if they get a decent start, they'll, they'll hop in for a week or two. I don't think it's going to be a super strong Pitt year, but that's besides the point. Miami, I think, definitely has a chance. And because the narrative maybe has swung the other way, maybe this is the year they go eight and four and go yep. on a run and, and pop in there. NC State with Brennan Armstrong, I'm kind of high on them. I think that he can regain some of his old form, so maybe them. Duke, I'm not a believer, but Louisville is the last team, I think, that also has a chance to get into those rankings. Hey, I mean, Tech could do it too. If any team starts off 4-0, 5-0, they're going to get in. Our first four games are winnable. So yeah. is there a chance we go 4-0 and get in the poll? Sure. Uh, but I'm not going to put it as my most likely. I think Brom and Louisville, with the ease of their schedule, have a real shot to pop into the top 25 at one point or another. All right, next news and note. Realignment. The ACC presidents met yesterday, Wednesday morning, to continue discussions about adding Cal, Stanford, and SMU. They need one more vote to get to 12 because we had four dissenting members. And keep in mind, Notre Dame is a voting member, so they're one of the 11 that's voting them in. We know that they want the California schools. And it seems like things are trending like they're going to get those votes. We're not going to talk about it tonight because we got plenty to get to with the positions, but we're going to table it until something does happen. I think maybe by next week when we're doing our ODU preview, it it might have gone down one way or the other, but we'll we'll go there. I just felt like I wanted to mention the fact that that we're trending towards another vote or a first vote or whatever it is, and that we might get that 12th team to say yes to Stanford, Cal, and SMU, which would mean more money, but yes. not that much more. <laughs> more money in the ACC will be the biggest uh, conference in the United States. Coast would to that, coast, I have to be. I mean, uh, well, from Boston, Boston to Florida. Oh, yes, in terms of distances, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Because I think the Big Ten's going to be 18 teams, right? Oh, yeah, which is just talking, crazy. Yeah, not number of teams, so <laughs> geography-wise, uh, yes. we will be the largest conference. So we the got all-coast conference, yes, yes, ACC. <laughs> Love it, coast to coast. Uh, the Pick'em. We have a Pick'em for Too Deep this year. Go to our Twitter page. It's pinned to the profile. A lot of people have added this week. So we're getting, we're going to have a good crew. We'll get a prize together. It'll be fun. That starts on nine, two. So picks later, we're not going to make any picks. We'll talk maybe briefly about the games this weekend, but no picks for us this week. Next week, you'll get to compete with us going forward in the pick to see how you do. And finally, college football Monday, the YouTube show hosted by yours truly is starting eight twenty eight 
this Monday at 9 a.m. to recap the week zero games. I may have a guest, uh, may do some fun stuff on there. I'm not exactly sure what it's going to look like quite yet. And it's Thursday. So <laughs> you, you and me both will be waiting to see what happens 9 a.m. Monday on the Sons of Saturday YouTube channel. Tune in. It will get posted to this podcast feed later in the day. But if you want to see it earlier in the day, you have to tune in to the live show or catch it on YouTube. Okay, Virginia Tech preseason rankings, Robbie. We weren't ranked in either of the polls. We, we know that. Athlon put us at 78. The FPI put us at 63. CBS had us at 84. That was the lowest one of the ones I pulled. Sagarin at 73 and SP Plus at 72. So Sagarin and SP Plus on the same page. FPI likes us a little bit more. CBS Sports likes us a little bit less. So if you average those out, you're coming in what? 70-ish, yeah. 75-ish, somewhere in that range. Do you think yeah. that's right for what we deserve, or do you... I think it's right for what we deserve. Yeah. Think, and do you uh, think we could outplay it? Yeah. Just... Yes. Okay. okay. Certainly. It, it, is, it is right for... Absolutely right for a preseason poll, given what we demonstrated last year and what we have coming into this year until you get into your depth charts like we're about to do today and maybe <laughs> yeah. we can yeah how's that we'll break it down for you the biggest storylines for 2023 i had a couple on my end so i'll give one first and then i'll ask you for one my biggest one is the quarterback has grant wells improved will he look improved with the new weapons that we brought in and under Tyler Bowen taking over as QB coach work working with him hopefully on the same page this year, streamlined offense, uh, streamlined coaching staff. I'm how will that look? That's the biggest storyline for me, especially since promoting Bowen to the quarterback coach from tight ends coach. So now he's the OC and the quarterback coach and the offense wasn't good. He's got a lot riding on him. So that yeah. to me is my biggest storyline. Did you have a storyline? I do. And mine is we really get to find out what Brent Pry is all about as a, a head coach. Uh, year one was a year one. I th we have come to realize how uh, how little talent, I think, that uh, was recruited under Fuente um, in, a, in a lot of different re respects, a lot of complications that were going on with Fuente. So the, the year one, I think, for Pry had about as much meaning as the year one for Fuente did, which uh, was obviously a, a highly successful year using all of Beamer's uh, players. Uh, and so I think this is going to be the year that really tells us, uh, can he identify talent, both transfer talent and some of the young and upper covers coming in and what he looks like from a development for some of the more experienced players, uh, is that an asset and or a liability of this team? The ability to um, to develop players um, with another season under his belt. So that's my storyline. Yeah, and the last thing I'll add to that because it's related, because Pry is now just being the head coach, he's no longer calling the plays. I want to see how Chris Marv does taking over the play calling duties on defense. Is he more aggressive than maybe we saw last year? Can he get more turnovers? Because uh, that's something we really lacked. So that that's that would be my third and final storyline. There's more. You could you could go deeper and deeper. You were going to say something? Yeah, I, I think with Marv, it's a good, great point because you could say, hey, we saw it last year, but they threw that out there, right? That was just a midseason change. So there was no prep. There was nothing. So uh, I think 
once again, just like I'm kind of washing away last year for Pry, I'm washing away last year for for him taking over uh, the defense as well. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting because you're right. This isn't just hey, call the plays this week. This is like you've been preparing all summer to call the plays for ODU going up against what is now Grant Wilson on the other side. We got a battle of the Grants. Uh, how how is your defense going to look against this first time starting quarterback? It better look good. And that's pressure, you know, and we got to see if he can sink or swim. Let's talk about the schedule. Just a few notes here. We've t- we went over all of our opponents already, so we're we're not going to get crazy. But if you look at the Athlon rankings, we play just one team in the top thirty-five of the Athlon rankings. This schedule is not tough. That team is Florida State, of course. They came in at number seven in Athlon, but five of the twelve teams we play are in the lower half of FBS on the schedule. It's extremely manageable. So for a team that's trying to dig out of year one, trying to build off of three wins, I think this looks pretty good as far as the slate goes. Is there anything that stands out to you, worries you about this schedule? The fact that it's so manageable that if we have a bad season, it really is a bad season. (laughs) How about that? (laughs) Because This schedule right here, if we're being honest with ourselves, if we went back to old Virginia Tech, like mid-2000s Virginia Tech, we'd be salivating looking at this schedule, um, thinking about 9, 10, 11 wins, something like that. So um, I'm fearful because it is extremely manageable. And if we don't put something together that's halfway decent, then that that spells real trouble. Yeah, and you have those two Big Ten teams at a conference. Are they the toughest two Big Ten teams? No, but playing two P5s in September back-to-back, that's not super easy. We got to go to Rutgers, and then right after we get back from New Jersey, we got to go to Marshall, which could be a pretty crazy environment. They've got a good football fan base. They've got quality players that have really good defense last year. So that's super worrisome. I do like getting the Thursday night game at home on the schedule. And the fact that it's Syracuse, so we can maybe give them a little payback for all those Carrier Dome nightmares. Uh, <laughs> I I like that, and Spencer liked that that game for us as well. I didn't like the fact that two of our easiest ACC opponents, and probably the two easiest, are both road games. We got to go to Chestnut Hill and play BC, and then we got to go to Charlottesville. Now that is Lane Stadium North, not mm-hmm. as annoying as chestnut hill but nevertheless two of the most winnable games on our schedule are both on the road which stinks yeah the beginning yes i would agree with that and then i'm looking at it again the beginning of the year is just wild it's just wild it's weird that's it it's (laughs) you have old dominion at home you got purdue and rutgers two big 10 teams and then you have Marshall, who was a you know that was the starting quarterback. Our starting quarterback was theirs, uh, and the, of course we know it's Marshall, and it's an away game, and it, it's just they're feisty. It, it is a wild, um, weird start to um, the beginning of the season. And guess what? We're coming off of a a, a three win season, so I'm actually kind of excited that it starts off kind of funky and not too um, not too tame. So let's let's have some fun with it. All right, let's move to the position groups. We split them up again this year. Robbie had the running backs, the tight ends, the defensive line, and the DBs. I had the offensive line, the wide receivers, the linebackers, and special teams. And then we both did our own QB research. And so we'll we'll do Grant um, 
after we go over the rest of the offense, I think the offense will take a significant step forward this year. If you looked at our SP plus, it was 125th last year, not just one of the worst offenses of the season in college football, but one of the worst P5 offenses of the last 20 years. I mean, it, there was some articles written about this. I think uh, Shelton Moss did one and just how poor they were playing. Uh, it, it was hard to believe. And so projected at 88th in the SP plus this year, going into this year, Bill Connolly really took into account the guys we added in the transfer portal. Yes. It was dreadful in a season where there were a lot of, not a lot, but there were a handful of absolutely atrocious offenses uh, throughout. In the P5, too. uh, In the P5. And, um, you know, joking around, but I I, I would say sometimes you look around and you want to make fun of Iowa or you want to make fun of UVA, and then you you, you just have a quick realization. It's like, man, our offense is as bad as theirs. Mm -hmm. And it's it's difficult to <clears throat> fathom that being the case. We've, we've never been the highest power offenses. That's not been Virginia Tech's motto. It's usually had some, you know, even in our best seasons, it's usually the defense, um, you know, really elevates Virginia Tech to where it is. But to see us be that dreadful is, is pretty horrific. So, I, yeah, I think S&P Plus must be factoring in and must – have the weightings 100% correct for what the transfer impact would be. Yeah, because uh, it's, thing, it's right? almost 40 <laughs> spots. Yeah. And, and yeah, the Iowa jokes don't hit as well when you're right next to them in the SP Plus rankings and you're 119th in yards per play and 118th in scoring. We did not score 30 points in a game last year. Not against Wofford, not against Georgia Tech, not against anybody. And that is just flat out unacceptable. So... Let's start with the O-line, and that was one of my positions. Coach Joe Rudolph left us. He ended up going to Notre Dame, and we were very excited when he came in because of his pedigree, the things that he had done at Wisconsin, the All-Americans he had. But it was so bad last year. A lot of our fans, and maybe even myself included, wasn't too sad to see him go. I, I It would have been great if he would have been able to stay and build something. But based off last year, I don't know how long that would have taken to get the way he wanted, and I don't know if Bowen and him really saw eye to eye on the way they wanted to run the offense. And so with those things combined, I see Ron Crook come in and I start to get excited about it because it seems like the O-line coach, the quarterback coach, and the OC are on the same page for how they want the offensive line and the offense to work. He coached a lot of good teams at Cincinnati. He took them to the playoff. The way he runs his scheme, it's a little less technical, might allow some of these younger, more inexperienced guys to play better earlier in their careers, which is something we really, really need. This was probably our worst position last year, and that was on a team that had a lot of bad positions. I was thinking, was, was the wide receiver worse? Was the quarterback worse? Was the offensive line worse? Well, they all work together, and the offensive line is where it starts, and we could not get a push in the run game at all to start the year. And we couldn't block the pass game at all at the end of the year. So even though we switched our offense kind of halfway through, the offensive line only got marginally better. This year, after losing Johnny Jordan and Silas, we have a couple solid starters coming back and some promising young talent. But we were rated 11th in the ACC by Athlon, which does, first of all, there's not that many great offensive lines in the ACC to begin with. No, we're not last, but 11th is not a good ranking. 
However, with the Bob Schick news, the starting five is clear now. It's Xavier Chaplin, who has a ton of promise, Braylon Moore, Caden Moore. We talked about the brothers, and I, I think they're going to be really good for our future. Bob Schick and then Parker Clements, one of the veterans on that other side at right tackle. The twos, it's it's a mixed bag. You got a true freshman in Leith Ganim on the left side. Jack Hollifield, a guy who's been in the program a few years, but never really gotten a ton of snaps at center. Brody Meadows is in there. Johnny Dixon, Johnny Garrett, and then Clayton Frady. And so who are those other guys we can count on? I don't have a sure answer. I think Meadows will be one of them, and I'd probably put him as my sixth offensive lineman. But as far as seven and eight, is it Ganim? Is it Garrett? Garrett was one of the guys that when he came in as a freshman, they thought he might've been the best one in the class. So he has promise. Frady has been an All-American or an all-conference guy at the FCS level. He's got a big enough body for it. Could he contribute? Should He should be able to contribute as a backup. Uh, but the only two guys I really feel confident in are Caden Moore and Clements. I think they're going to be rock solid. Clements didn't have a good year because he couldn't lift for most of the offseason and got it together later in the year once he got some strength back. I think Caden will be a great leader for us. I don't want to see him go down. I don't know who's going to snap the football if he gets hurt. So please stay healthy, those those two vets on the offensive line. It's a shaky group, very little starting experience. But I think with Crook leading them, getting them to the line of scrimmage, just hit someone, use your natural ability, I think that's going to be good. And we did see positives in the spring game. So I'm not going to put the red alert up. I, 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 but yes, it's shaky. The depth isn't good, but I think we are going to improve on last year. And with the weapons, with Malachi, if, if he's healthy and playing, we'll be good to go. I think the offensive line will be good enough to get us to a bowl. I'll put it that way. You and I will be cringing every time somebody gets rolled over uh, in a in a pile, and mm-hmm. we're going to be watching knees and ankles very carefully throughout the season because we probably have maybe if we think we have two lines, that means we have seven seven right. guys probably is what we got. That's probably what we do have, and it, it's it's one of those things where like on offensive line, I mean, it's so hard to build that when you're when a new coach has taken over. We, we talked about the FSU thing in the past and Penn State when Bill O'Brien came in. Like Hackenberg had no time. Uh, what, what was the kid, Blackman at FSU? Yes. He had no time his first couple of seasons. It's hard to build those lines up when a new staff comes in. So let's hope we're getting there. And as we go forward, it'll just get better and better. Linking up with those lines are the running backs. And that was one of your positions. I'm interested to hear your take on the on the room this year. Yeah, I feel good about it. One of the mainstay topics that Prize had, uh, and really the team has had throughout the offseason, is a focus on generating consistency and reliability in the run game. And I think all Hokie fans are very much on on board with that, getting back to the roots of uh, Virginia Tech football, which is a solid, reliable um, run game. And last year we had... Injuries abound for Malachi Thomas. Uh, he played about two and a half games. Um, it's almost it sounds... surprising it was that low, you know, like because he, he, he was like, oh, he'll play. Oh, I think he's going to play this week. And like he just never did. And then he left a game early. And I think every week you and I were talking like that. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, you know Thomas is going to come back this week. And it never came to fruition. And obviously we had um, – we had King and we had some other guys, but it, it, it caused some shakeup in 
um, what we expected because when we saw Thomas, he looked really good. And that is what it sounds like we're getting back based on the health. In addition to that, he has focused on really adding to his acceleration in the off season, um, which is great. He's known as a guy um, that makes decisive cuts, will throw his shoulder down and get extra yards. You and I have talked about that, but if he can add uh, a acceleration boost to that, uh, to his stats, uh, that would be, that would be awesome. You've uh, been hearing and, that he's explosive. I, that's, yeah. that's something that's definitely come up in, in some of the pressers, but I'm excited about the other guy in that room, the, maybe the one A and one B, right? Yeah. So Tutin is uh, a third team FCS all American, uh, last year for NC and and, what we are getting into, and I watched a bunch of film on him. In my, uh, you know, opinion, and take that for for what it's worth. Your but expert is, opinion, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a it's a guy that um, I think can make people miss. If whereas we're looking at Thomas as somebody that can put his shoulder down and gain extra yards that way, I think that uh, Bayershell Tootin is really. One of the people that in the open field can can find a gap, find some holes, has good vision, and then can um, make some good cuts uh, to make people miss. And I saw that um, a number of times in in the game film that I watch for for NC A&T. Um, so I think they play off of each other well. Will this be a running back by committee? You know, is it going to be? Hey, you, you know, we've seen this in the past where it's when we had three running backs going back. It, it would be you know. You get one third of the game. You get one third of the game. You get one third of the game. Is it going to be a little bit like that? I'm I'm not sure how they're going to play him off of each other. I'm hoping it's a little bit more um, sporadic to keep the defenses honest, to not really know who is going to be in the backfield with their differing skill sets and their complementary skill sets at that. Behind them, we got Chance Black and we got Bryce Duke. Um, I think that... Both of them will probably see the field. I think Chance Black, we might see him more on like maybe some jet sweeps or things along those lines. And I think we've seen that a couple times in the in the past. Whereas Bryce Duke, and I think you would agree with this, is kind of a true running back. And I think we may see him get in, um, depending on what's going on in the game, depending on how much of a spell we need to give and a breather we need to give to Thomas and Tootin. But uh, we could see him out on the field. But I think that we have two excellent running backs and a a pretty good backup if things start to go a little bit sideways or somebody gets nicked up and, you know, then Bryce Duke is the breather guy for whoever is kind of remaining in the game. Yeah, that was that was a great breakdown. I'll add something on Tootin. He had 10 consecutive 100-yard games, including one against Duke and Mike Elko. Uh, this past year, he had 1,700 total yards from scrimmage and 17 touchdowns. Us as a team last year had 24 touchdowns. So him by himself sc- scored nearly as many touchdowns as our entire team did. He's very good at that level. Will he be good at the FBS level? It remains to be seen. I think Malachi is the 1A if we're going to mm-hmm. differentiate. But that power, that elusiveness that Tutin can bring – I, I really like that. And I, I'm with you on Duke, pure running back. If I had to choose him or Black, I think I'd go Duke as the three. But Black has that receiving ability, that Curtis Samuel-like ability that maybe he could be used as jet sweep, uh, pass out of the flat, wheel routes, yeah. that kind of thing, which I do think they're going to take advantage of. We saw a lot of them in the spring game. 
Let's take a moment to talk about our sponsor, Robbie. The 2D Pokies Under the Influence podcast is brought to you by Roback. Roback is performance activewear designed for those who crave activity. This is the same polo company that brought us the Virginia Tech polo, the orange maroon, beautiful one with the states of Virginia on it. Well, now they're offering our listeners 20% off their first order using code 2DVT. They have hoodies, tees, quarter zips. The hoodies are supposedly super comfortable. I'm, I'm about ready to order the orange one. I just saw the orange effect thing come down the other day. Uh, it got me thinking about orange and like, it's a beautiful hoodie, but they got women's stuff, uh, tennis skirts, shorts, joggers, and of course the polos. And there is some whispers, some rumors. A little birdie told me that there could be a VT polo dropping, a new one, a different Ooh. one coming Ooh. soon. So keep that in mind. But in the meantime, go to their site, load up your car, and use code 2DEEPVT for 20% off your order. Roback Crave Activity. For right now, Rob, what are you drinking over there? I have uh, green tea right now. So uh, I do not have, uh, last night I had the Guinness Zero having come back from Ireland. That's what they have it everywhere. They're advertising it everywhere. And I was drinking that in honor of the Notre Dame Navy game happening in Dublin. So, nice. and, uh, so I, that's what I was having last night. Tonight I am drinking green tea and being very healthy. Nice. I am ha actually being healthy too, but I am drinking Ooh. a beer. It is called the High Low. Not the high lie, the Cigar City High Low. This is a obviously a lower percent alcohol IPA, 4%, only 35 IBUs. It came out, I think, around the time they were releasing all those like 100-calorie IPAs. There was a bunch of them, and, and I think a, a handful have fallen by the wayside. But I saw this. I decided to grab it. It tastes very good. It actually tastes better than a lot of sessions that I've had. Really? It's, it's traditional. It's, there's no sweetness. It's a, a bitter kind of West coasty IPA, just like the high lie. Uh, but you know, it's a little bit thinner on body, but I would, I would definitely have a handful of these. I mean, it's, it's, we know, we know how good that is. In fact, on my bachelor party, we went to cigar city brewery. We did. And, and we drank, <laughs> I lie there. It we drank a bunch awesome. of different ones for sure. Yeah. But yeah, I, I've always been a fan of cigar city and this high low, I would recommend it. Maybe a little later, I'm going to crack this Oscar blues, hazy blues. This is more Ooh. of your traditional juicy IPA. Never tasted this one, but I really liked the can and, oh. uh, I'll give a review on that a little bit. Later. I've never, uh, I've never seen either of them. So that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, this one looked good, so I just went for it. All right, Rob, I wanted to give you a little break because let's hop into the tight end, another one of your positions. We got that bad news about Gallo. We don't know how long, if or how long he'll be out, but yep. what is that room looking like in totality? It was looking better with him uh, him there, uh, and he still might be there. So let's talk about him as though he is okay. Uh, and he may not be, but... I had a lot of notes on some of um, the other guys anyway. So Virginia Tech did not have a single touchdown from its tight end group last year. They had 566 yards on 60 receptions, no TDs, and did not make it into the red zone. That is something that we are all hoping, uh, including the players themselves, uh, to change this year. Nick Gallo is in his fifth and final season with Virginia Tech. 
obviously the leader of the group. I think you just said, I did not see any news today. I was working all day, but he just got named a team captain, I think you yep, uh, yep. said. So uh, obviously a group, a leader of the team um, would be uh, necessitate that he's a leader of the tight end group as well. We know what he is. You know, he um, is not a very explosive tight end. He's he's relatively reliable. He had a decent number of catches next year, but he's he's not he's not he's not going to really do anything uh, to blow your hair back. He's a good blocker, and he's a traditional uh, tight end. On the other hand, we have Daquan Wright, who is six foot four. I am very excited about Wright and his athleticism and his ability to bring some height, uh, some long arms, and hopefully um, some more explosiveness or, or maybe deep threat uh, ability uh, at the tight end position, or even just goal line, kind of go up and get it type situations. Yeah. Uh, we have Benji Gosnell as well, who missed all of last year with a torn ACL. We have Harrison St. Germain uh, as well. But my focus um, prior to the injury was really on Nick Gallo and Daquan Wright and what they could do. Gosnell, I think, is is absolutely going to be on the field, and I think he's a, he's a pretty fabulous player, and they can use him because he's pretty versatile as well. But uh, I think um, my excitement really resides in seeing uh, Daquan Wright out on the field. And, and I'm hopeful that we're going to see some productivity from him and uh, maybe a few t- touchdown catches as well. Yeah, he basically had to be a wide receiver for us last year because of how lacking we were. And he was good. There were some plays where I wish he had a little bit more speed to get down yep. the field because he was rumbling. But he's got so much potential. I think Benji's got so much potential too. They've been really excited about him. He was a four-star kid that kind of just felt, I don't think a lot of us even knew we were going to get him at the time. And Mm -hmm. then he tore his ACL. We didn't see him, but he probably would have seen the field too, if he wasn't hurt last year. So no, losing Gallo would suck. And he is got to be the best blocker of any of these guys. Yep. But these other guys are going to have some playmaking ability and that does excite me. So uh, going forward, I feel really good about this room. Um, We'll wait and see on what happens with Gallo. Yep. Linking up with that is the wide receivers because last year we did have to rely on those tight ends this year, hopefully not as much because Caleb Smith was the whole team last year behind him. It was Gallo and then Dwayne Lofton and the gap was quite large. And so now you, you bring in what we've all talked about for months now, the wide receiver room that got totally revamped with the transfer portal, Allie Jennings from ODU, Jalen Lane from Middle Tennessee State, and Daquan Felton from Norfolk State. Jennings and Lane were the guys that almost had 1,000 yards last year for each of their teams respectively. Both of them in the top 25 in yards per game in FBS last year. I think Jennings was top five. I mean, he was excellent. And adding him... If you were just to replace Caleb Smith with Jennings, I think you win that trade. But then adding Lane, adding Felton, and then all the stuff we've heard about Steven Gosnell improving his body and having an incredible offseason, according to Fontel Mines, this room suddenly becomes one of the deepest on the team, if not the deepest on the team. Because you're adding them, those guys to Lofton and Holloway. And Aiden Green, the true freshman, has been getting a ton of love. So I'm not going to go into all this depth because we have talked about the wide receivers to depth in the off season to death in the off season, but having these weapons in this offense is going to make such a difference. We talked about the lack of talent overall on this roster, something that we 
really took us a while to learn uh, over the year and then into the offseason when all those guys started transferring to FCS. Well, now we've got some real P5 caliber players on this team. I don't care if they came from the G5. Jennings and Lane, those guys are P5 caliber. And mm-hmm. Felton is a freakish athletic build who has been impressing in camp. And so I can't wait to see what he's going to do. The hardest thing for me to guess is who leads the team in receptions, who leads the team in yards. Because you might think it's Jennings, but Gosnell might be the one that gets the most catches. He seemed excellent in a spring game. And yeah. the way Grant was getting it to him on the sidelines, Felton had a nice couple catches in that spring game from drones. We're going to have some guys who can make some plays. And I was watching some Rondell Moore highlights the other day. And none of what he was doing in Brahms' offense was super amazing to get the ball. But then once he had the ball, what he did to get the touchdown, that that has nothing to do with coaching. That's all about just the player doing something incredible. And with these guys, we might have chances for plays like that. And so I'm excited about the room, but we can we can move on. Because I could talk about the wide receivers all night, man. I don't I don't want to we we got plenty to talk about here. Let's move to quarterback. All right. Grant Wells named the starter. His father went to VT. He transferred over from Marshall where he started for two years before starting for us all of last year, despite a lot of groans and moans to maybe give Jason Brown a chance. Well, he decided not to transfer after we went and got Chiron drones. And I'm glad he didn't because he beat him out. And (laughs) just like last year with Glenn talking about his accuracy and saying he's the most accurate quarterback he's ever coached. Pry has picked right up on that. He's, talking about his accuracy, how he can put it on the money and all this kind of stuff. I just hope the result is different this year because the hype did not match what we saw. It it didn't match it at all. His accuracy and his his pitfalls were the exact same of what happened when he was at Marshall. It was the same kind of story. Uh, touchdown, I mean, uh, interceptions kind of beget more interceptions for him. It was a waterfall effect where he would either get down or out of sync or a mix of the two. Uh, we know the offensive line was abysmal. We know that he didn't have a lot of uh, time and protection there, but there's a lot of quarterbacks that are playing behind subpar offensive lines. We know that he didn't have a lot of weapons on the outside, uh, but do do some of those things impact your accuracy if you're getting pressure? Yes. Do If your wide receivers are not or your tight ends are not in the right place because you don't have the talent, then it can look like your accuracy is off and, or you could be out of sync with them as well. However you get to that point, it still needs to be better than mm-hmm. what it was. He's got a great arm. He's got good legs. He's mobile. And what we saw in the field was not indicative of what we need in a starting quarterback for Virginia Tech. So I am hopeful that what Pry is now picking up on as well in the accuracy and something that Brett Wells said in the offseason himself that he needs to improve is in the accuracy side that it bears fruit on the field this season. I think one of the reasons he won the job is because they feel more comfortable with his decision-making in-game this year. And I hope that's true because we saw Grant get in his head a little bit last year at times. And I think at Marshall, we saw that as well. He is one of those guys where, you know, mistake me gets a mistake, as you said. And so 
that needs to get corrected. If he's matured and grown a little bit, just in the mental side of the things, he has the physical capabilities. His arm is really good. His legs are good enough to do what Bowen wants to do with the more dynamic running quarterback plays, read option type stuff. Grant's capable of that. It's a question of kind of getting out of his head and making sure the game has slowed down for him. But And that's what we're being told. And that's the reason he beat out drones. He was, we know the numbers weren't good. Nine TDs, nine interceptions, 98th among qualified passers and passer rating and 97th in QBR. Dreadful. Worse than I ever could have projected when I saw his numbers at Marshall coming over to Virginia Tech. So I'll break it him down for you with a bull case and a bear case, because that's where a lot of our fans are. The people who really like Grant Wells, they think the bull case. And if you don't like Grant Wells, you're going to think the bear case. So here's the bear case. He's mistake prone. His QBR didn't improve throughout the year, essentially at all. The O-line still isn't that great and they won't protect him. And he still won't have that much time. Bowen has never been a QB coach before. And the offense is the same crappy one as last year. That's the bear case. We saw Grant sail a lot of passes. Not a good quarterback. The bull case is he did seem to play better once the offense changed up its scheme. He had just two interceptions in his last five games and a slight uptick in his passer rating. And he's got so many more weapons at receiver this year that even if he's just a little bit better, the offense will be significantly better because of the receivers and the running backs that came in. And a year more on the offense, which has been streamlined with now there's no maybe you know, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing with Glenn and Rudolph and Bowen. It's all, it's all simpatico. It's all streamlined. It should be better. So that's your bull case. And that's the case I choose to believe because they just named him the starter. Kyron Jones, I think was too raw to beat him out and hasn't thrown enough passes. Didn't complete a lot of passes in high school and just needs more time. So I need to be hopeful about Grant Wells and the season. So I'm going to go with the bull case that I just laid out. Let's talk about Chiron Drones. Is Pry trying to keep him engaged with the comment about playing him every week? Do, does he just want to make teams prep for him? Or did, do you actually think that Drones came close in the competition? I, I do think he came close in the competition. So I'll answer that question first. What does that mean? I'm not 100% sure because I, I did not ever get the sense from Pry and and really from anybody or Bowen that they want to run a two-quarterback system um, in, no. in any way, shape, or form. And, and they none of them have ever said that um, or alluded to the fact that that was of interest to them. So his comment is a bit befuddling, I guess is the best way to put it. I I, I, I guess you could say that it's to keep drones engaged, keep him less focused on the transfer portal and, and potentially exiting stage right. But that he's, he's a smart kid. He's going to know whether he's playing or he's not playing. It, mm -hmm. It's not, it's black or white. It's not going to be, Oh, well, you know, they gave me some lip service before the season started and said I was going to play. So I'm just going to stick around, stay engaged. I, I don't know if it's um, that. So I, I guess, the easiest uh, solution um, is probably that he's trying to keep defenses honest and teams honest that we have another alternative. And there are multiple benefits to potentially doing it, like making sure he doesn't transfer and keeping teams honest. And maybe, just maybe, 
they have designed a package of red zone plays and we'll use him in short yardage. There, there are ways to incorporate him. You don't want it to just be, oh, he's in, he's running. You don't want it to be that. We've been through that with Quincy Patterson. We've seen other teams go through this. We've seen our teams in the past go through this. We don't want it to be like that. But if you can use him in a way that doesn't break rhythm for Grant and the offense in general, that is effective, I'm all for it. That's not easy to pull off. And it's particularly not easy to pull off for a guy who didn't run a good offense last year and try Tyler Bowen. So yeah. I, I'm probably might really want drones to play because he sees the freakish athletic ability. And so he's like, this kid's going to play. We got to figure out a way to get him to play. But when the chips are down and Grant's been throwing really well, do you have the balls to actually put him in the game and break up the rhythm? Probably not. And right. so we'll just have to see how it plays out. Hopefully going forward, He's good. He becomes the guy in a year. If he doesn't, Pop Watson's waiting, man. He yep. had a really good first impression in that spring game, showed some really natural ability. Now, he's the exact opposite of Jones. He's not developed physically. He's skinny, a light, slight kind of quarterback, but I think he's an actual quarterback, not just an athlete. Like that guy, he's got some excitement to him. So, as far as what I think the production will be for Grant, He's probably not going to get to 3,000 yards because of the focus on the run game and the fact that he threw for less than 2,200 last year and we haven't gone over 2,200 as a team in four years. <laughs> but if he can get to 25 or 27, that's what Ryan Willis did in 2018, and we have a solid run game and we're using the read option, I think the offense could do more than enough with how I think of this defense, with how high I think of this defense. So, uh hmm. Let's let's hope for that twenty seven hundred to three thousand somewhere in there would be amazing for me. Yes, I would agree. I, would, I think if we got to twenty five hundred, we would all be ecstatic. <laughs> Which yeah. is like such a low bar in today's game. In today's and, game, that's I mean, not hey, hopefully he does the three thousand thing. Only three quarterbacks in tech history have ever done that. If he becomes the fourth, well, hell that's yeah, we he he really had a redemption story, and let let's hope for that. So overall the offense uh we're coming off that season where you don't score 30 points once that's got to change if jennings lane felton and tootin are what we think they are and malachi and gosnell have done what we've heard in camp it could be a very good season offensively at least average which is all we're asking for at this point we just want to not be 125th get me to 70 75 that's all i'm asking I'm just thinking about like those Texas Tech, Oklahoma State shootouts that like each go into overtime and then each quarterback has like 600 yards passing. It's like when they get one fourth of what we're hoping for in the year in a single game. <laughs> it's so true, man. I know it's that's that's just tech what tech offense has been. And hopefully at some point or another, we get with the times and we can, you know, put out a 4000 yard passer. But it doesn't seem like it's going to be this year. Uh, VT defense. Let's move to the defense. Chris yep. Marv taking over the play calling. We're replacing Jamari Connor, our only draft pick. Dax, our emotional leader, and Garbit, our leader in tackles for loss. Some big shoes to fill, but I think this team and this unit has the ability to overcome those losses. We were pretty solid defense. Despite how bad our offense was, I was actually impressed that our defense finished right around the 40 mark in SP+. That think about how much our offense hung them out to drive. Were you impressed by that final ranking? Absolutely. I mean, it, yeah, it really. They're 
there were times that the defense ended up breaking down. And I'm thinking about the pit game and, and th- but it was also, they were at a certain point you're getting gassed and it, it's hard to keep up the motivation just, you know, to be running at such a you know high level when you're really not getting much from the other side of the ball. Uh, so it, it, it is, I am impressed with it. It's not all that surprising because I don't think we ever looked at the defense and thought that there was much of a problem last year. So it, it, it could, we thought it could even be better, but and we thought that there were some issues and we had Dax, you know, at linebacker and he had a, you know, the first four games, he couldn't figure out where the ball was, but like, you know, he got it together. Uh, so it, it, it got better as the season progressed for sure. You know what's interesting is I thought our rush D was actually really good last year. And you just mentioned that pit game where we gave up 326 yards. But we finished the season 43rd in rush yards per game given up. And that's with that 326. I mean, it was a very stout run game. We just got – it's one of those games where it just gets out of hand, obviously. He had six touchdowns. But other than that, we were probably a a top 35 rush defense in the country. And – that's where it starts. If we yeah. were talking about in our previews, if you can shut down the run versus some of these teams that are on our schedule, we're going to have a nice day against some of the QBs we play. And I so I, I'm excited about that. Let's get into the DBs. And that was one of your right. positions. I said we lost Connor, but yep. this this room's got a lot of potential. I think it does. Derek Jones talks about it uh, for the cornerbacks. He says, well, I think the top three that I have Dorian strong, Richard junior Mansour Delaney, a sophomore and Derek canteen, the Georgia Southern transfer have all made significant improvements since the spring Delaney is, uh, coming off eight pass breakups last year, two forced fumbles and an interception. He was a consensus freshman, all American, Strong was banged up last year, cost him seven games. I think he had a hand injury for a while. We couldn't even figure out what it was that he was out with. They kept saying Um, he was going to be back too. That was another another one. one. Yeah. Yeah. We got rid of Miami is back and then it turned into, (laughs) you know, Thomas and and Strong are coming back. Uh, Canteen had 12 pass breakups last year um, and was an all Sunbelt honoree. If we have to get into some real depth, we jump immediately into a bunch of freshmen. So uh, right. we may see them uh, out on the field, but I think three is enough at cornerback. I, granted, I'm a little bit worried because Strong has, um, you know, the injury history. But and I'll let you get to the safeties in one second. Yeah. But with Canteen coming in, they keep harping on how his leadership has affected Delane and Strong. And yeah. maybe that means they've put on some weight, they've become more durable, and that this is going to not only help with film study, but help with them staying healthy. Yeah, because what you probably didn't notice me talking a lot about, and I think where Canteen really starts to ha- help, is uh, interceptions. I do think they were good in coverage, but I do think um, Havoc is something that you and I are going to hit on a lot in um, our segments here on the defensive side of the ball that we we need to create more turnovers. And I think Canteen, um, the way they talked about his maturity, I think that ball hawking is part of that maturity that yes. comes in there. The confidence to be in coverage, but then know when the times are that you can kind of go after after the ball. So. I agree, um, and I'm excited to see him in maroon at some point in the field, and 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 see what he's got because I think he's a, an excellent player, and he's obviously very, very mature. Someone pointed this out 
somewhere uh, that Canteen led the nation in interceptions two years ago. So I looked it up, and that is correct. He really? led, led the nation in interceptions two years ago. So you're talking about ball hawking. You you are right. <laughs> he right, has well, he has that ability. The safety position. So we've got Nazir Peoples and uh, Jalen Stroman, two very well-known capabil- or, uh, uh, quantities for Virginia Tech at this point. I'm super confident in um, that one, too. Peoples is in his sixth year. He's a sixth-year senior, I believe. And a captain um, as well. And a captain as well. Uh, he ranked third in the team in tackles last year. He started. He has started the last 24 games for the Virginia Tech Hokies. So he is vetted, to say the least. Uh, Stroman is in his third year. And behind them, I feel really good about Moss Phillips uh, as well. I, I think, think it's he, it, I think it's Moe's like the office. Mo's? Like, <laughs> like I think it's Moe's. Yeah. It's not right, like Randy Moss. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think it's Moe's like like Dwight's cousin. <laughs> oh, well, he, he does know that that would be M-O-S-E, right? That, like, that's what know. it is. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was M-O-S-S. No, it's it M-O-S-E. M-O-S-E. Oh, well, then maybe I have I to look have... it up again, but I'm pretty sure it's SE. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, you might be right. Um, I guess we'll have to find out. The point being, uh, once we figure that out, that uh, he... it's Mose. Yes. M-O-S-E. Yes. There we go. So miss miss typo on my part. So but now you can uh, use all the Mose memes that you want during the season. Yes. Yes. If he's got you know thick connected eyebrows, then uh, we'll know it's uh, we'll know we'll know what's going on. Long story short, with the safeties, I feel very good about. I feel like we have three <clears throat> at each cornerback and at safety that I feel really good about without somebody else having to step up or any of the freshmen really showing up or or Jalen Jones um, really needing to do much. So that's not not a huge number of people, but it's enough, uh, yeah. I think, to to make me go in and not have, you know, a heart attack every time these guys lay on like a hard tackle or something along those lines. Yeah. They they could be elite. <coughs> this this group is that good in the starters and maybe just those couple of reserves. I mean, Canteen is gonna be the nickelback. He's probably gonna play a lot yep. when the star linebacker's not out there. I'm about to get into linebacker. Yep. But that starting group is I it's not rated very high on Athlon, but it's one of the best in the ACC. If they can maintain health, it is going to be the one of the best DB rooms in the ACC, and I, I can't wait to see it. The depth isn't there. It's freshman, but maybe Dante Lovett steps up if need be. Maybe Braylon Johnson steps up, but could be a very, very high-ceiling room. And but- I think that's because it, it is missing a name, right? Like if you had a Fuller brother back there, yeah. and it, then – um, that's only one out of your four positions, but just having that name would give Athlon something right. to gravitate to. They like I look at each one of these four and I'm like, these guys are solid, right? I don't know that I look at any one of the four and I'm like, that guy is gonna be in the NFL and he's going to be, you know, a stud. And when people do rankings, yeah, they look at the group as a whole, but they still need something to gravitate to. Like, oh, this guy, you know, they need, they need that headline for the blurb that they put in the, you know, in for the position. And I don't know that they have the headline and that and that pulled down the overall rankings, in, in my opinion. Yeah. And this is the last thing I'll say on that. If we had been able to pull in maybe a Tony Grimes in the transfer portal, I'm not saying we were even going after him, but say we were and he got here. 
he would not be a starter on this team, but having his name on our roster would put us like, you know, top three in Athlon because yes. it's Tony Grimes and he was a stud recruit and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Let's move to linebacker. Another room I think has a super high ceiling, but a much lower floor than the DB room. It looks different without Dax in there, but they are all huge. Jaden Keller, six foot three, Kelly Lawson, six foot five, Jenkins, I think he's six three, and then Tisdale is six three. And those are really the top four guys in some order. Maybe Jaden, is it Jaden or I can't ever get it this right. Jaden McDonald is also in there. But like mm-hmm. of those five, those are the five guys that I mean, Jaden started at will last year in the ODU yeah. game. Like he mm-hmm. he might have not been ready, but he's been a starter on this team. And now I think he might be fifth of the linebackers but our starting mike i think is going to be keller that's not confirmed this is one of the few positions we don't have clarity on but i think keller is going to be the starter there kelly lawson starting will a guy who we think if he could be the next great linebacker the next nfl guy because of his size and his length and all of the the good stuff we saw last year and how he really came on and had a bunch of tackles 16 tackles in his final three games last year and that sweet pick six he made the Feldman freaks list also. So that's, that's always something to put a feather in your cap. Keontae Jenkins is steady. I feel super comfortable with him. So does pry. We should have good coverage from that spot, whether it's him with a star or canteen as the nickel, we should have very good coverage in the middle of that field. And the potential of Kelly Keller and Kelly is (laughs) immense. It really is because the previous staff loved Keller when Pry got here, he loved Keller. And then all of a sudden, Jaden was starting over him. But that might have been because Keller was supposed to be a Mike the whole time. And they were trying to make him a Will because Dax was there. But we we will find out, get some clarity. But having Tisdale as that high floor second guy or maybe a starter at Mike or maybe a backup at Will, I don't know. But Tisdale started, what, 20 games or something? He's played in at 40 games over four seasons. He's a super senior and when he came back after his suspension last year, he put up 35 tackles in his first four games. That's almost 10 tackles a game. Like he, he came out like gangbusters. He would have been our starting will. He could have made the difference in a few of those games that we lost. And so getting him back, the potential of McDonald, the potential of Keller and Kelly, I'm, I'm pumped. There's not so much to speak about behind those guys. We'll talk about them if we need to later in the season, but I love where the linebacker room is headed. We just need to see if someone can get the reads right, get the positioning right, make the calls, because that's what Dax was doing. If Keller is capable of that, this could be a a very, very good season at that position. Now let's move on to defensive line. This is our last position, and Robbie had the honor of taking care of a, of a spot that I think could be one of our better ones in a long time. Yeah, what used to could be an asset. It seems like it's been like a liability for the past, not a liability, but it has not been uh, anything that we've gotten juiced up about for maybe three, four, five years. Uh, I feel like this is the year JC Price. Come on, JC. (laughs) Yeah, come on, JC. Uh, I think this is the year he helps us show glimpse of what defensive lines that we used to know. I don't think it'll be as good as maybe some of those old units, but it'll be the groundwork for what we used to have. Um, 
And that starts up front and in the center with defensive tackle. We got Norrell Pollard and Mario Kendricks. And Fuga, I just looked this up. He started five games uh, last year. Um, so he played in 10, started in five. Those three, I have a ton of confidence in. And I think Pollard, who was at times, it was not always consistent, but was very disruptive in the middle uh, yes. last night. There were, there were, or last year. There were a number of games where he was uh, creating a lot of headaches for folks. So I, I feel very good about uh, the defensive tackle position, and that should be known because we've, we've already talked about that. What we did not know, and is what has come to fruition, is we always had kind of the question mark around what's defensive end going to look like. We have Keyshawn Burgos, who's battling Cole Nelson um, for the defensive end, but opposite of them is Florida transfer and pass rusher Antoine Powell Ryland. And he will be known as APR from here on out. Easier to say. (laughs) That's that's the easier to say, easy nickname. APR will be a stud force. He's already gotten a bunch of hype uh, from the team, is fast. He is a bull rush, um, you know, pass rusher that I think is what we have been missing in this defensive line for some time. And I think it will only add to the effectiveness of the defensive tackles. It's, it's super exciting. I have, I have very high expectations for him for the season, assuming health and, and things um, play out the way I'm, I'm hoping they will behind uh, those guys. We got CJ McCray. So uh, I think a defensive tackle, you know, an injury, we could probably survive two injuries. You know, we start to really take the teeth out of things on the defensive end side. I feel good about, um, you know, about three of those guys and really probably four. I feel all right about uh, McCray as well. So I think uh, we're, we're, we're looking like it, it could be a pretty stellar defensive line this year. Yeah. You, and that gets me excited. I can't, I don't, I, I might've missed you mentioning McDonald. I'm not sure if you did or not, but that was just uh, a guy I that, know. that Pry yep. has talked about and mm-hmm. McCray, maybe not so much. We haven't heard as much yeah. about McCray lately, but he yeah. did play a lot last year and had yep. eight hurries, which was the most on the team. <laughs> so that's, that's just an interesting note about McCray, but APR starting five games for an SEC school last year. If Doug Bowman had the the numbers on him from PFF that his pass rushing grade on well, true pass sets was sixth in the P5. Sixth out of all the players in the P5, uh, he had the best true pass set, pass rushing grade. The guy can get after the quarterback. And we saw that right when he got to campus. They posted his little highlight, but that seems to have continued on times when we're not watching. And so his potentials really exciting. Burgos's potential is really exciting. And the fact that you could add pain in to the defensive line, because we have those stud starters in Fuga, Kendricks, and Pollard, but, yeah. and they can't all start, but you know what I mean? Like guys that have been around, throw pain in there too. Uh, a yep. super senior that came over and got hurt, but he's got potential. So there's a lot of guys. The idea of having a rotation on the D line for once is very exciting. Yeah. <laughs> so, Which is so. very, uh, Different for us, <laughs> right? Let's put it that way. Yeah. So overall, on defense, I think we're more athletic just about everywhere. I don't. I don't know if you agree yeah. with that. You could maybe say the DBs were just as athletic last year, but mm-hmm. the linebackers, it's not even close. I, I love Dax, but he is not the athlete some of these guys were replacing him with. Now he could make all the calls, and he got a lot better about positioning himself. 
but I think the ceiling and the floor for this defense with that, mm-hmm. with the edge rushers and the DBs, I think the ceiling and the floor are both higher. Do you think yeah, so? Absolutely. I, I think the, <clears throat> the athleticism across the board, I think is elevated. I, I, even with the DBs because strong was out for so long True. with, you know, the hand injury. So we were, um, we were playing guys that, you know, necessarily we weren't expecting to. So I, I think at least for starting the season before, you know, we have to deal with any injury issues that we might, might happen. Uh, I would absolutely agree with that. And I, I think the linebackers are probably the most notable there. Um, and then followed by, you know, what we're going to see coming from the defensive ends this year that we haven't had in the past few years. Yeah. I really want to get back to 30 plus sacks this year. We had 23 last year in 11 games. So we were barely over to a game the year before that we were under two sacks a game. Yeah. So it's, it's got to improve when we were doing our normal Saxburg thing, it was 40, you know, that yep. that's where we were at 35, 40 sacks in a year. That's something I want to get back to because sacks lead to turnovers. And we just had nine turnovers gained last year. That was second to last in all of college football. That's unacceptable. You cannot have that in Blacksburg. And one of the reasons that might have been is because they needed to keep guys back in coverage. When you blitz, you leave yourself susceptible. The corner should be good enough this year that you can take some risks with the blitz game. And that is super exciting. The fact that the offense might not hang these guys out to dry as much is super exciting. Shorten the game run the football, let the defense tee off. And I think this could be a top 35 SP plus unit. We're not getting that credit. It's projected at 51 right now. I'm not yeah. sure why that is. Um, probably because we hadn't had a good defensive line in like six years, but yeah, they don't, they're, we talked about him factoring in the wide receiver transfers, maybe APR and Canteen are slipping a little bit more through the cracks, but nevertheless, I think we're going to outplay that top 51 number 51 SP plus. What do you think? I think we are. Um, and I have that as my hot take. So, uh, I think, let me get, let's go close. What's your hot take, Rob? (laughs) Oh, you're, you're zooming in on me. Um, which way is my camera? Hot take. Uh, I think this is going to be a top 25 uh, defense at the end of the year. Uh, SP plus, I think will be top 25. And I have APR going for nine or more sacks this year, which would put him uh, in the top 25 in the nation. Typically, Uh, it depends on the year, but typically uh, about nine or more is where you need to be to be in the top 25 in uh sack count that's a that's a good hot take dude because it is yeah. achievable because it's, it's it's hot but it's not scalding hot like it mm-hmm. it's it's attainable especially if you you look at the ceiling of the guys on the defense here's just a random question for you and i'll back out okay who's gonna lead us in tackles and i'll give you the name so you don't have to think about it too hard oh man peoples stroman jenkins lawson keller or tisdale so peoples who led us last year or as far as the returners go, Stroman was second behind him. Jenkins, Lawson, Keller, and Tisdale. Who leads us in tackles? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get you all excited and say Keller. Ooh, okay, okay. <laughs> the middle linebacker spot usually. I mean, the Dax led us. And I know so that's normally what happens. But 
and people's had to make a lot of tackles last year yeah. out of necessity. We're yeah. hoping that's not what it's going to be. That's not like. a good thing. Yeah. No. You, if you, usually you want it to be your linebackers. Right. Uh, let's be, you do not want it to be your defensive backs. Yeah. All right. Let me do a quick special teams preview before we do our uh, pr- final record predictions. John Love is our kicker. He doesn't have much experience. Just two kicks last year. Made one, 50%. <laughs> Not great, but he did. He was a highly touted guy coming in. He, I think his range is somewhere around 40 to 42. If we got to 43 or more with the game on the line, I'd be concerned. If we're at the 40 mark early in the game, I think he can make that kick. And so we'll see how he develops. Kickers just need experience. And so hopefully we're not killing ourselves in the red zone, but some close kicks to warm him up would would be good. Peter Moore's our punter. We got a betting app uh, uh, ad read coming up. So keep that 42, 43, 44 in your mind when we get to that. So, That's right. Uh, if, you're, if you're looking for it. Peter Moore, all ACC candidate at punter. He had a little bit of a rough stretch last year. His average overall dropped a little bit. If you remember the pit game, something wasn't quite right. I don't know if he was battling something, but he's a good punter with potential to be a great punter. And for a team that's still working its way back, that could be an asset. So we need him to be good. Punt return, Holloway and Lane are working there. Lane has huge play potential. He was fourth nationally in punt return two years ago. So he's very good. Holloway, we saw what he could do, his explosiveness in the return game. So I feel great about punt return. Kick returns a little bit more unknown. Could be Tootin. Could see Cole Beck back there, hoping Beck can get some good chances. And then Chance Black, Holloway, Lane, they'll, they'll all be in the mix. But that's how the special teams are looking. I think when your team is better overall, the roster's better overall, your special teams units are just better overall. And so okay. in that respect, I feel good about special teams this year. The kicker, we're not going to know until we know. But everything else, I, I feel pretty good about. I don't think we're going to see Tootin that much in kick returns. Don't think it's so. Not, it's not. Juice is not worth the squeeze uh, there for a potential. That's fair enough. I just uh, saw, I saw him on on one of the depth charts somewhere, and I was like, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, I, I, I let's put it this way: I would hope he's not there. I mean, it, that is. We got enough just, other athletes. You feel like you could. Yeah, and just the injury risk is, you know, you're you're adding on to it there. All right, final 2023 record predictions. And just a little chat about toughest games, projected losses, that kind of thing. I'll ask you first, Rob. Why don't you you give us your... Seven and five is my record prediction. I have wins. Um, I'll do wins first. So wins, I have um, Old Dominion, Purdue, Rutgers... Then uh, Wake Forest, Syracuse, Thursday night at home, Boston College away, and Sleepy Chestnut Hill. And then at Virginia, uh, losses that would give you Marshall on the away game when Grant Wells goes home to his team, Florida State. Obviously, I think everybody's going to have that as a L, given the talent that they have. And they're, what, top four in the nation, I think, preseason and uh louisville and nc state i have as my losses so i stuck with my seven and five um and that is my seven wins and my five losses you make it sound so easy to get to seven and five like that like when you're when you're talking it 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 makes sense to me like okay we can do that it well that's that's that goes back to what i said 
that concerns me about the manageable mm-hmm. schedule, right? Because when you hear it, you're like, that doesn't sound that bad, which means if we can't, if we don't get anywhere close to that, we know things are, yeah. are you know. And you know that of those seven wins that you're projecting, you know some of those are going to be sweated out right to the end. Yep. Uh, three points one way, two points one way. Uh, that's <laughs> that's what's scary about the schedule because there are so many games that could go either way. I'm going with six and six. I, yeah, of course I think FSU is a loss. I'm not going to go through all of them because I don't know whether we could lose Rutgers and then beat Marshall. We could do the opposite. It, the college football players are so prone to swings of emotion. And so it, for me, I, I don't want to project the actual wins and losses, but I think we're going six and six. I want to see what Wells can do with the new weapons. And I think if we've reached our ceiling on defense, we could be a top five unit in the ACC, meaning we are better than Pitt or we're better than Miami or we're better than NC state. Like what? And I think our defense has that potential to be better because all those teams have a lot of unknowns. Pitt is rebuilding a lot of their team, especially on the lines this year. I don't mm-hmm. think they're going to be quite as good as they've been. So I think our defense can be at in the top half of the ACC for sure. And if the offense can just hold their own, it could go a really long way. No, we don't have the depth and a couple key injuries could hurt us, but that's going to be true of a Virginia tech just about any year. And so I, I would be happy with six and six because it means we go to a bowl. It means we improve by three games and I'll take it. If we do your seven and five, I'll be on cloud nine, man. I, I, I really will. So now it's time for my hot take. Cause it's a little bit linked to what I just said. All right. If we don't beat ODU by two touchdowns, we are not going to a bowl. I feel like that game at home after what happened last year against a first time starting quarterback in FBS in what's now become one of these games that's a sore spot for us. It's, yeah. I don't want to call them a rival. We should never have to call them a rival, but it's working its way there. If we cannot win this game and a game we're favored by two touchdowns, by two touchdowns, we are not going to be good enough to go to a bowl. It means Grant Wells choked. It means the defense couldn't get it done. It means this team that's ranked 121st in the SP plus projected. I know it's a projection, but say that projection's off by 10. That means they're 110th. You got to whoop this team at home. What they've done to you twice in the past five years, you should be angry about it. You got to go out. You got to beat them by two touchdowns. And if you can only beat them by seven, or you can only beat them by 10, or you beat them by 13, you're not going six and six. That is my hot take. So beat them by 14 exactly or more. I'll feel good about the season. <laughs> I like it because the players, you know, they if they win by ten, they can pack in the season. They can be like, <laughs> "All right, that's it. We're that's that's it." Pete said it's done. Uh, it makes it very binary for them right after well, that first game. So I, I, I kind of wish I had come up with this prior to the Wofford game because oh, I should have said on this podcast, if you can't score thirty points against Wofford you're not going to win four games because that's what happened. <laughs> yeah. Then we could have had that in the intro. We could have used that line in the intro. And I will say going back to that, I, the reason I, I don't think I've ever picked all, I there's plenty of times that you and I have gotten the record prediction. I think accurate. Yeah. Just, you know, that you could just call that, you know, shit luck. Right. Neither of us, I doubt, have ever gotten the actual wins and losses all right. So no. that's the reason that I still pick it is just on the off chance that's like a, you know playing the lottery that I get the uh, all the wins and all the losses correct. Oh, normally like 
they're so off. Yes. <laughs> so Correct. I'm rooting for you, man. I'm rooting yeah. for you. All right. There are some games this week. We got Navy and Notre Dame. I think a couple of Hokie Nation people are out there. I know Chris Coleman was going. I think Pat Finn might be out there. But I have two buddies right now that are texting me from Dublin. And you were just in there. Ireland. so Yeah, and I was just there. And neither of them are huge college football fans, but they're just going because of the game. Nice. Um, and you know where it is. I uh I think I'd like Notre Dame to cover in that game. It's a 20 and a half point spread, but uh but it'll be fun to just see some football on the screen again. We are going to see USC take the field, a yeah. top 10 team. There's it's really it's a sicko schedule. I think it's, maybe New Mexico State is the one <laughs> that game might yes. be entertaining cuz it's a close spread and it's Jerry Kill against UMass, which is just weird. <laughs> yeah, I, I it's a sicko absolutely sicko slate because I said to you last night ohio state sdsu is a really good game uh or ohio, ohio yeah, yeah yeah ohio two good SDSU. football programs for like yeah. where they're at in the g5 yeah yes um and that's how you know it's very sick of, <laughs> uh, so and uh i mentioned this as well notre dame navy last time they played this 10 years ago 50 to 10 so Ooh. if you're looking at Ooh. that 20 and a half point spread uh Notre Dame covered it uh, a decade ago in Dublin. So uh, just keep that in, keep that in mind. I want to see what Sam Hartman can do with, uh, with a Notre Dame roster. Like how does he look? And you know, that could be, you're playing Navy in a foreign country that could get strange. That could, that could be a close game in the fourth quarter. Like, I don't know what's going to happen in that game. I think Notre Dame's going to crush, but I don't know. (laughs) Dude, you could, drink Guinness pites at halftime. I mean, <laughs> this is, it's, you're in Dublin. I mean, you can kind of do whatever. It's, it's not going to feel like a normal college football no. game for these guys. Probably. Well, the, the cheering is I was, I went to a rugby game while I was over there. Um, and it was, it was awesome. Uh, nice. but even the crazy cheering is just, it's, it doesn't have that alcohol infused, just like, you know, uh, echo that happens here in the United States. Okay. And, uh, so that's, that's one thing. It's a little subdued. All right. In the, in the vein of picks and spreads, I want to tell you guys about prize picks. The Hokies under the influence podcast is brought to you by prize picks. And they're the only daily fantasy app. That's going to allow you to make plays with our players this fall. That's right. You can make plays with Ali Jennings with Grant Wells over-unders, all kinds of cool plays to do. It's a daily fantasy app, prize picks. You can use code MEMORYLANE, that's MEMORYLANE, all one word, for a deposit match up to $100. And it's exciting because even if you don't maybe want to play on the Hokies, you can do NFL. You can do, they got preseason right now. They got all these futures that you can play it's it's actually really really cool so hop on to prize picks download the app and use code memory lane for a deposit match up to 100 dollars. prize picks daily fantasy made easy this oscar blues was pretty good actually i'm drinking it out of my uh battle at bristol koozie here so oh nice i still have the tickets from that down in my basement uh yeah 10 guys, two RVs. Let's just say the septic system uh, took some damage. Uh, I saw you uh, that weekend too. Yeah, it was, that, that was a fun in concept. Actually, it was a blast. It it was a blast. It was not nearly as disgusting in the RVs as, as you would think. Uh, We were a little bit older, but like if we were in college still, it would have been, it would have been horrific. Quick story about the RV that I drove down. I picked it up in Philly. I drove it to Arlington, picked up friends, 
drove it to Bristol. We stopped in Blacksburg and had lunch. Then we drove to Bristol. And then, and we, we only peed in the RV. Number one, we did not know number twos. And I got home and I had never driven an RV before. I didn't know where to empty the damn thing on the way home. Like I had no idea. So I, I slept in Delaware at my mom's place because I, I needed to return it the next morning, whatever. And I was like, I got to empty this thing. I don't know what to do. Back the RV right up over the sewer grate out front of my mom's house, let her rip. Uh, <laughs> worst smell I've ever smelled. Uh, but, and it was highly illegal, but I did the, I did, I did, I did Christmas vacation. Christmas <laughs> vacation. Shitter's full. And it just, hey honey, <laughs> check our shitter yet lately. <laughs> but that's what happened after the battle of Bristol. Just let her rip right over the sewer grate, drove it to Philly, dropped it off. It's all fine. <laughs> that is so illegal. Uh, yeah. That is hilarious. No one call yeah. the cops on me, please. And if you're listening yeah. at an hour and a half into the podcast, um, if we got a listener that wasn't works for the EPA, <laughs> you're you're completely screwed. Um, so uh, anyway, uh, that's gonna do it. Subscribe, rate, review, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, hit up sonsofsaturday.com. They are posting all of our podcasts. YouTube, subscribe to the YouTube page. Check me out on Monday. It'll be something. <laughs> and in and until yeah. Today he today he was going to be planning for it, but we ended up having to re-record. <laughs> right, so uh, right. uh, Monday Monday will be you know who knows. Yeah, and until next time, go Hokies. Go Hokies.